We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week. ICRT's roundup of the top news stories from around Taiwan over the past seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio today is Gavin Phipps. Gavin. Good evening. By phone from Taichung, we've also got ICRT Central Taiwan correspondent Donovan Smith. Donovan, thanks for being here. Thank you. And we've got a first-timer on the show today. Klaus Bardenhagen is a Taiwan-based freelance reporter who produces broadcast reports for German-language media. Klaus, uh, been a big fan of you for a long time, so uh, really excited to have you on the show. Great to be here. Thank you. On the show today, we've got some legislative business to attend to. A new four-year term kicked off Monday, so we've got some new faces in leadership, uh, some new policy fights, maybe. We'll see how that shapes up. And new calls for reform, so all that good stuff coming up in a bit. Then we'll take a look at Taipei's traffic woes, which have been getting a lot of press this week. And finally, we'll discuss allegations from one advocacy group that the Ma administration has failed to live up to its much-vaunted pledges on human rights reform. But first... The world got itself a new global health threat to worry about this week. And while it hasn't made its way to Taiwan shores just yet, health authorities are launching several measures to help prepare. That threat, of course, is the mosquito-borne Zika virus, which has now been declared an international health emergency by the World Health Organization. Uh, I'm pretty sure most of our listeners by now will uh, already know the basics, but here's a quick recap. Uh, the virus is closely related to dengue fever, which, of course, we've been struggling with all year here in Taiwan. Uh, generally milder symptoms in most cases, uh, but the real concern here is for pregnant mothers uh, because there is a suspected link between the disease and babies being born with underdeveloped brains. Uh, so causing a lot of anxiety, especially in Brazil uh, currently. Uh, Gavin, this disease is not here yet, uh, but it's uh, spreaded quickly, very quickly, in South and Central America and the Caribbean. Uh, and many are warning that it's just a matter of time before it makes its way to Asia. So uh, we've been hearing a lot from the Centers for Disease Control this week. Uh, what have they been saying? They set up an epidemic command center to combat the Zika virus. And that move came a day after the World Health Organization declared the virus to be a public health emergency of international concerns. And that was their words. Anyway, the first thing that the Zika Epidemic Control Command Center did was upgrade the virus from a Category 2 to a Category 5 notifiable infectious disease, which means that the Zika virus is now in Taiwan on the same level as that of the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome and Ebola. And uh, they've done a couple of things to prepare. We've heard about airport checks, uh, some warnings about travel. Uh, w w what's going on there? Yeah, this is the Centers for Disease Control, which works in, co in sort of conjunction with the Epidemic Command Center. And they say they're currently focusing on improving medical equipment availability, intensifying cross-border quarantine, preventing outbreaks, and strengthening vector control. This is, of course, vector control is groups of outbreaks. So you find where the outbreak is and you clamp down on that area. Stop it. There has been one case, though. It was, in, was imported. According to, this is according to Steve Gore, who's the director general of the CDC. He says Taiwan has one imported case of the mosquito-borne disease to date. Right. Uh, and so uh, the big concern there is just the fact that 
uh, a mosquito that bites a person who's been infected uh, can spread the disease to other people. So it, you know, it, even though it's spread through mosquitoes, uh, once you have people that are infected, that makes it easier for the mosquitoes to spread it as well. well the blood. It's in the blood. It's in the blood, yeah, exactly. Because apparently this week, uh, somebody in the United States, state of Texas, I believe, was infected with it, and they were infected through sex. Right, yeah. So that's... There's still a lot of questions about this disease, but uh, that does seem to be one of the possible ways uh, that it could be uh, spread. Uh, Donovan, so uh, what does this look like from uh, central Taiwan? Is there a lot of uh, anxiety about the Zika virus down there? None. Uh, we don't generally have sex with mosquitoes down here. Um, but the, what's interesting is the case that came into Taiwan came in via Thailand. Um, and what's what's kind of frightening about the disease is that the vast majority of people actually don't have very they don't actually have very very severe symptoms. It, the person that becomes infected, something like eighty percent, get mild to no symptoms. And but it, but it's a serious problem, obviously, if you have children. So it's it's a, a largely symptomless disease. But if you're going to have children, it's it's, it's a very serious problem. But you don't know you have it, and that's this is something that um, Brazil announced is that they they real they announced a few days ago that the the disease is far more widespread than they realized initially because it, it's it's largely symptomless. So dealing with it is going to be a huge problem. And I and I was reading a little bit uh, yesterday about how hard it is to come up with a vaccine for for this kind of disease. Mm. All right. Well, uh, as we've said a couple of times now, it's not in Taiwan yet. So uh, we're, I there guess there's the one case. There, well, there, there is that one imported case. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't seem to really have too much of a foothold here at all. Uh, so we're going to move away from that fear mongering portion of our show. And, uh, you know, if there's more news, we'll stay on top of it. But for now, uh, we'll just try to keep our minds off that and uh, move to the much brighter topic of politics. Uh, Well, the lawmakers voted into office in January have now taken that office, although the legislative session won't begin until a bit after the Lunar New Year break. uh, So that's a couple weeks away. But we have got a new legislature uh, and it was a combo deal. That new legislature comes with a brand spanking new legislative speaker as well. Uh, And as we've discussed on the show, Legislative Speaker is, of course, an extremely important role in Taiwan's government. Uh, So, Donovan, help us get acquainted with Mr. Su Jiachuan. Yeah, well, after 17 years of Wang Jinping, we've got, uh, and he's the consummate dealmaker, the new new, um, Legislative Speaker, Su Jiachuan, he's... He's uh, he's a very interesting character because he's he's very much a policy wonk. I mean, he, when you actually talk to him in person, he knows he does his homework. He really, he's one of these guys who you ask him a question, he will give you a detailed answer. You know, referencing all the detailed the laws, the you know all the public ram, ramifications. He's that kind of guy. But he's he's he, he obviously he's run he was the vice presidential candidate under uh, Tsai Ing-wen in the last election. Uh, he was closely tied to her during this le- during this sorry in the in the previous election he was the vice presidential candidate and this time around uh, he was closely tied to her campaign. He's previously been the uh, Pingdong County Magistrate. He's the uh, he was the agriculture minister. He was the minister of the interior. So he's got a lot of actually. He's got cabinet experience. He also was previously a legislator. So he's got experience pretty much politically straight across the board. 
Uh, so his choice and him being so close to Tsai Ing-wen is very interesting because he's not only is he, he, is he policy, he's got the policy experience, he's got the legislative experience, he's got the executive experience, he's got the electoral experience, he's got, he's got everything straight across the board, and obviously he's Tsai Ing-wen's person in the legislature. So his choice, I believe, sig- signals that she wants to work closely and wants to have a, a solid foothold in the legisl- legislative UN. So I think that this is uh, this is Tsai Ing-wen's, she's putting, she's basically putting a firm stamp on the legislative UN. That, that's, that's my take. So when Sue was running as Tsai's um, running mate, vice presidential candidate in 2012, he had to deal with this farmhouse controversy, yeah. which <laughs> damaged him back then pretty much. Did any of that stick? Does it still taint his image today with anyone? I don't think so. I, I think that most people realize it was kind of a non-issue. And uh, he's not the only person to actually have bought farmland and put a house on it for sort of living purposes, is he? It, it wasn't, and the thing is, if you looked at the pictures of the house, basically it was like a, it was a moderately moderately nice house it was the, the thing was the press was spinning it the kmt was spinning it as it was a haozai you know it was some kind of it was a mansion, mansion. <laughs> you looked at the pictures of it and you're kind of going uh no not really it was an it was an okay house that was about it all right so uh, hopefully we won't be hearing too much about his farmland real estate in the next couple of years and we can focus on some other stuff uh, so, Donovan, would you see this as a, a sign that uh, Tsai Ing-wen is kind of gearing up to move forward somewhat aggressively on uh, her various campaign platforms and policies and the stuff that she wants to see implemented? I mean, uh, basically, is this a signal of a, of a very aggressive executive? Absolutely. Uh, she's, she's put her former running mate and her campaign manager from the last election into the top spot in the legislature. So, so basically, he's technically it's the president of the legislative UN. So he's now the head of the legislative branch, you know, the most powerful person there. So, yeah, but what's interesting is that, in theory, he's supposed to be a he, – he's coming out and saying, that, oh, no, I'm going – you know, the, the head of the, – the president of the legislative unit is going to be neutral and is not going to take party in, in, in party events and so on and so forth. But she's put her – basically her right her right-hand person – into this position. So this is a very interesting, very interesting choice. She's chosen, you know, her possibly her closest political political confidant and is going and who's going out and now saying they're both going they're going out and saying this is this person's going to be neutral, but she's chosen her, you know, th- this person to be the head of the legislative event. This is a very I, I, Not the most neutral it, choice. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think it was probably a choice that the DPP would agree on internally. Yes, that's There was no, no major controversy within the party when it comes to Sue, basically. Yes, that's also true. And he also doesn't come with baggage from Chen Shui-bian's administration. Cause, cause she, well, no. She did have he, a, he, was, he was in the cabinet. He then. was in the cabinet, but he doesn't come with a baggage. When you no. think of Chen Shui-bian's administration's baggage, he's, his name doesn't... Frank Sher... Xu Zheng Chang, various other people's names come up, but yeah. Su Jia Chuen's name doesn't even come up in that, basically. doesn't even yeah. hit the radar when it comes to Chen Shui Bien's baggage. Now, what's interesting is that he, uh, you know, I, I, I was expecting that he was going to be chosen for premier um, 
So now the question is, who is she going to choose as premier? Well, That's going to be very interesting. She's going to be able to find somebody without that baggage. Former finance minister Lin Chuan has, of course, been tipped for that post, hasn't he? But, of course, he comes with rather a bit of baggage. Some, yeah. And, of course, Joseph Wu, of course, who is the current secretary-general, <laughs> has also been tipped for that, mm-hmm. as has former party secretary-general Lin Shi Yao. And, of course, their names all came up because they were put on the, the transition panel group this week. Mm. But of course, it's too early to say. Was yeah, all too... I had to say on Wednesday about it. So here we go. But I think Joseph Wu will not go for premiership. He basically has. He can pick what he wants to do now. He can pick if he wants to become foreign minister, if he wants to become the uh, head of the National Security Council, and he. You know, he's party secretary now. He ran the campaign basically very successfully. He will not choose the premiership, which basically only lasts for about one to two years on average in Taiwan. Hmm. So the sky is the limit for Mr. Joseph Wu, and he's not going to squander it, is your take? Well, I guess he has better jobs that he can pick from. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Premiership, not good enough for Mr. Joseph Wu. All right, well, very quickly, before we come up on a break here, uh, we do have that new legislature, but there were some also changes on the executive side as well. Uh, We're not going to call them big changes, because uh, everybody in that executive is still Ma-appointed, Uh, But there was a little bit of reshuffling in the cabinet. Uh, The new premier, Simon Jong, did take office this week. And the big question there, as we've discussed before, is how are these two branches of government going to get along in this caretaker period before President-elect Tsai Ing-wen takes office in May? It's not a caretaker period. They've said that dozens of times. uh, Okay, (laughs) we'll say the... uh, Hey, he didn't say lame duck was off limits. Let's call it a lame duck period, shall we? Okay, the the slightly lame duck. The the limping duck. The limping duck. Might have an injured... Metacarpal, mm-hmm. possibly, but we don't really know. That's Gavin's <laughs> diagnosis right there. Anyway, the Premier, Simon Jung, this week said that, basically he said, OK, we've, we've got a bit of a dilemma here, but what we'll do as a cabinet is we'll avoid sending what he called controversial bills to the legislature for review. Got to watch out for those and, controversial well, bills. Basically, everything that comes in a controversial bill package has the word China written in it. Mm-hmm. And we all know that. There's a pattern there, there's, yeah. There's, there's a big pattern there. And he did turn around and said, basically, bills that have got to do with the island's economic development will be sent to the legislature for voting, but anything else, the cabinet will not move on for the time being. So that's kind of the pledge uh, that they're making. What, what, what are the stuff that they're saying they're going to focus on over the next four months? It's basically, they've been very vague about it, very vague rather about it, and they've just mm-hmm. said basically it's economic development, mm-hmm. which, of course, economic development does envelop China, but, of course, there's the controversial trading goods agreement, which won't be sent back, no doubt, because, of course, the DPP can't deal with that even if they wanted to, because they have to come up with a bill to do deal with agreements with China. Right, so uh, that oversight none, bill, yeah. None of that can start until the oversight bill has been done. And, of course, the Cabinet did submit an oversight bill for that agreement, which, of course, get being kicked out by the DPP. So the, the current Cabinet, the Mara administration's Cabinet, now looks like their agreement to deal with oversight of China agreements is not going to be voted in anyway. Right, there's no way that the proposal, you know, the, the version of that bill that was proposed by the Ma cabinet is, is ever going to get through this legislature. It's ever going to get through, not anymore, no. Right. No. Uh, okay, so, you know, the, we, we maybe just witnessed a moment of uh, the uh, 
President Ma executive and the newly green legislative branches coming together and saying, uh, we're going to try to get along for the next couple of months uh, and we're not going to pursue anything too uh, controversial. We're just going to focus on, you know, the real governance, important stuff that we all agree on. Uh, so is this a real moment of uh, bipartisanship or am I reading too much uh, happy fairy dust into all this? Donovan, what are your thoughts? Uh, basically, I think the DPP is going, to, is going to do everything they can right now to not get uh, entangled. I, I, I think that, I think that Tsai one right now she's been she's been very smart. She's been avoiding uh, being brought into the government. You know, they've tried to you know they they. The, they tried to get her to get involved in the choice of the cabinet. They tried to get her involved in the choice of the premier. They tried to get her, but she knows that Ma still holds the you know still holds all the strings, mm. and so she's very smartly kept out of it. And you know because she, because as soon as she gets involved in it, she can be tainted by anything that they do. Because she doesn't quite own the whole situation. She's fully in, you know, in the chair, and she's got all the strings of power in her own hands. She's not going to take any risks. Uh, all right, uh, Klaus, w- w- do you have any predictions for the next couple of months? Uh, how uh, Taiwan politics are going to shape up before Tsai actually takes office? I think the new legislature will legislature will need some weeks, maybe um, some months, to um, get used to. I mean, you have new parties in there, new caucuses, a lot of new. Um, new lawmakers. Um, I think maybe the next few months on the legislative front will be more like a quiet time, and then everybody's waiting for the Tsai government to really take the reins and get things rolling. Mm. Uh, All right, so hopefully uh, things stay at a low boil for the next couple of weeks. We'll... uh I guess that's enough prognostication. We've done far too much of that on the show, and we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. So for now, uh, we're going to take a little break here. Uh, When we return, we've got traffic problems in Taipei and transport problems all across the island. So we'll be taking a look at that, and we'll be ending the broadcast with a look at Taiwan's human rights track record under the Ma administration. That's all coming up after this. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around Taiwan. I'm Keith Manconi, joined by Gavin Phipps, Donovan Smith, and Klaus Bardenhagen. Kicking off the second half, hey, Taipei drivers, you know that traffic you're stuck in right now? Pretty annoying, right? Well, it's actually pretty great for us because it means you're stuck listening to uh, your radio for just a little bit longer. But we get a lot of you are mad about it. Well, if it makes you feel better, Taipei government officials are also feeling pretty bad about it as well. Apparently, some officials' jobs might be on the line if the situation doesn't improve soon. For those who uh, don't commute in Taipei, here's what we're talking about. Apparently, we've been seeing bumper-to-bumper traffic along a lot of the main thoroughfares in the capital city. Uh, those include Zhongxiao East Road and West Road, Zhongshan North Road, uh, Fuxing North and South, and Xingsheng North and South Road. So kind of all in specific places have just been a real nightmare recently. Uh, and Gavin, this whole week, Mayor Koenja and officials in his administration have been serving up uh, a steady stream of apologies and excuses for why this is happening. Uh, so what, what, what is this being blamed on? Well, I mean, Koenja this week came out and threatened to fire people, which I found quite amusing. Basically, he turned around and said, if I fired a couple of city commissioners, the others will fall in line. 
and adhere to my traffic policies. He sort of went on and said, uh, maybe I was speaking a bit rough there, so I didn't quite mean it. He never, he never disappoints, <laughs> Mayor Coenger. Always colourful. No, he doesn't. No, no. <laughs> anyway, he came out yesterday, that's Thursday, and basically said, hey, look, you know, OK, there's parking problems, there's traffic problems, there's parking problems as well, but that's another issue. There's major traffic problems, but hey, you know, look, they're not of my making. We are simply continuing with what the previous administration of the KMT's How Long Bing set out to do. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that over the past few weeks, the traffic has been appalling. And, of course, more commuters have noticed it. Now, one of the reasons more commuters have noticed it, is a co- this is according to the Department of Transportation for Taipei and the commissioner for that department, um, Zhong Hui Yu, who came out this week and said, basically, more people are noticing the traffic jams because more people have been driving for the past several weeks because the weather has been so bad, which could be seen as like let's fob people off but personally i think that's absolutely right because if you've ever got in a taxi in taipei in the rain you know when it rains traffic is appalling and it's been bitterly cold and raining recently in taipei this is why more people have noticed the traffic jams of course the traffic jams exist because they're expanding the pave walks the pave walks the sidewalks <laughs> i was speaking they are paved. english american then wasn't i really they are paved pave walks they whatever you want to call them the pavements or the sidewalks <laughs> they're expanding them they're also putting in bike lanes bicycle lanes that being not not bike as in big bike lanes but cycle lanes which is kind of ironic really because several years ago they put in cycle lanes on dunhua north road and then realized they were a complete failure and then ripped them out I think uh, they're now all under the scooters. They're covered in scooters at this point, I'm sure. They didn't need to rip out anything because they just painted, painted, over painted them, some yeah. lines painted on the asphalt the and called it a bike, bike lane, lane, which was yeah, a yeah. total failure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. So basically the story coming out is uh, a lot of officials are saying, no, it's just the weather, don't worry about it. Other people are saying, well, this push to make uh, Taipei more friendly to bikers... Uh, is really hogging a lot of space on the roads, and that's causing but, some of, of these course, problems. One of the things that's actually led to this, of course, I mean, the, no doubt there were more cars on the road. I mean, mm-hmm. I totally agree with them on that one. Yeah. But, and what's led to this is, of course, Mayor Kerr's big... When he got to office, yeah, his big thing when he took office was to remove the bus lanes on the Zhongxiao West Road. Mm-hmm. And in Taipei, that's the main thoroughfare opposite the main train station. And it leads to several bridges that cross the river into Taipei, in New Taipei. Mm. So it's a main road, basically. And what he did was he scrapped the bus lanes there, which did speed up traffic. No doubt about that. Now he's decided to rip down the Zhongxiao Bridge entry and exit ramps, which run down Zhongxiao West Road. Now, these aren't just little ramps that you go up and down. These are like parts of the road that are elevated. Mm. And they, they, they're pretty ugly. And I totally agree with him wanting to get rid of them because they're so unsightly, even for roads. Roads aren't sightly anyway. But these couple of roads are absolutely unsightly. I literally use those every day on my commute to work. Yeah, yeah, this is going to add a couple minutes to is. my commute. Well, th- this is why it's all kicked off because when he said he was going to get rid of them, people went, whoa, hang on a minute. That means people coming off the Zhongxiao Bridge from New Taipei, Sanjong, into Taipei City. This is a very, very busy bridge. Well, I guess one of one of the reasons they started tearing that overpass down now is that it leads about like one meter from the north gate, which is the only Taipei city gate left in the original condition, and they want to upgrade the whole area, make it a historical historical uh, center of Taipei again, and and um, so which th- is they, all very nice. But unfortunately, when you come off the bridge, you have to cross several roads. 
So I was wondering, so was, was this the only problem. reason the bridge, he said... The bridge was actually... The, the thing is, the original reason that why that bridge is there, it, it no longer exists. It, it, the reason it was originally built was because the rail line uh, before used to be on oh, ground yeah, yeah. level. And when they moved the, the rail line underground... Uh, the, the purpose of, the, of that actually that 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 you know that on ramp ceased to exist. I mean, literally, there's no it, it, it's 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 a, an on ramp and an elevated bit of road that was built for something that no longer exists. So they're, they're, they need to remove it because you know they don't need to elevate that part because the trains are now underground. Yeah, but but let's talk about traffic policies in Taipei City in general here for a bit. I mean, my heart really goes out to all those commuters who are stuck in their in their cars right now. But I must say, um, why they get to listen to us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Klaus, you're missing the point. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Okay, I, I would just shut up. Traffic exists so that we can listen to ICRT. <laughs> no, really. I'm, I mean, I don't. I live in Taipei City. I don't own a car, and I never felt like I need a car there. It's such a great um, public transportation infrastructure there. And um, the problem we are facing right now is not that there's not enough space for cars in Taipei City. The problem is that there are too many cars in Taipei City. Mm. And um, in a city with a population density like this and the space being uh, limited by the mountains all around it like this, uh, you cannot go on building more and more roads. And no matter how wide you make the roads, no matter how many overpasses or bridges you build for the cars, they will all be filled up. There will always be a traffic jam. Mm. So you really need to take traffic policy in a different direction and building more bike lanes and taking away space from the cars is the way to do this. So you're saying life should be even harder for drivers? Of course. Well, they're also thinking of at the moment, they're thinking of introducing something called a congestion tax. Yeah, I mean, you need to actively, as a Taipei city government, you should actively discourage people from buying cars, from owning cars and from using their cars. And if you look at places like Hong Kong and definitely Singapore, they are doing exactly that. And that's why they are not a traffic jam hellholes, but mm. they work somehow. But, I mean, uh, Mayor Kud didn't exactly come out swinging this week in favor of bikes. He kind of, the, the lines he had were more, oh, that was the last administration, the whole bikes thing is there. So if he's not willing to own that, I mean, do you, do you see it as likely that he's really going to push forward on this in the future? Well, I think what's happening on Fushing right now, near those major intersections where they're building the bike lane, and um, they have a huge construction site there, I think that's pretty much Kerr's policy. I don't mm -hmm. think that how long being planned that. And um, what Kerr is not, he's been in office for not even one and a half years now, so he is um, not exactly facing re-election right now, so he should mm. really face up to some uh, more progressive policies and even risk alienating some voters right now because a few years from now people will see that that these things pay off mm. so it's still got some political capital to spend i, I think so what he is going to do is going to put more policemen on traffic duty oh that's great yeah you know all these um red lines all those decorative red lines on the sidewalks what 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 meaning do they have <laughs> uh hopefully some of those boys in blue can remind us uh, exactly what those mean uh And uh, looking down to central Taiwan, uh, Donovan, of course, transportation is a big deal all over Taiwan. What's, uh, what's the newest, hottest stuff in transportation news down in Taichung? Well, <clears throat> Lin Jialong has been doing two, two, I guess you could say several different, he's been pushing forward on several different things. <clears throat> One is that he wants to um, make sure that all the pavement is actually very level and smooth. And this is actually a very big issue down here. 
um, because a lot of the pavement before, because there's so many potholes, it was actually it's literally very dangerous. Uh, and most people, of course, ride scooters. They don't drive cars. Um, <clears throat> now he also uh, he also overturned uh, Mayor Jason Hu's uh, legacy on the BRT. But what he did is he turned those the lanes that were previously the BR the the bus rapid transit lanes into essentially uh, bus express lanes. And now the on the downside, the what was previously the BRT buses have added a few minutes on their uh, from journey end to end on what was previously the the BRT line from the uh, uh, from the downtown train station to uh, Providence University. So they've they've added a few minutes on the journey, but on the other hand, uh, that lane has now been uh, it's now accessible by a lot of other buses that that move off off of the main Taiwan Boulevard or what used to be uh, Taichunggang Road, uh, and so they those buses their their times have improved. So people that uh, that take this regularly have have said to me overall that they think that it's been somewhat better. Uh, would be their assessment. Now, of course, the city is also moving forward on building the uh, MRT line, uh, but that's going to be quite a ways down the road, so we'll see how that goes. Um, and also, the mayor's been pushing forward on a light rail uh, system, and there's been some controversy on this uh, and some argument about whether, because it was originally planned to be an MRT line, uh, but now the mayor's come out and said that he wants it to be a light rail line, and to connect up everything from the Taichung, uh, the, the port up to the airport to downtown. And uh, the uh, KMT has, has, has come out and said that this is going to be much, much slower than an MRT, but the mayor has said, no, it, it'll be only a few minutes slower, but it'll be much cheaper. So we'll have to see uh, what happens on that. All right. So uh, controversies all over the island, but uh, at least it sounds like down in Taichung, things are moving forward a little bit. And we are going to move away from our transportation stories now to our final broadcast story for today. With President Maingio's term coming to a close in just a few months, there's been a lot of looking back and assessing his last eight years, with the big question being, what is his legacy really going to be? Well, one of the areas being looked at is human rights, and at least one advocacy group is saying the Ma administration came up short on that front. The Taiwan Forever Association held a forum over the weekend in which academics and activists criticized President Ma for failing to fully implement UN Human Rights Conventions, which he himself helped to get adopted back in 2009. So, uh, Klaus, uh, this is something that you have actually reported on uh, in the past, so uh, you can get the ball rolling on this one. What exactly uh, were those conventions that were agreed to back in 2009, and uh, what was President Ma expected to do uh, after those were ratified. So we are talking about so-called UN covenants here, the covenants for political, social, economic rights, and so on. And if, as a UN member country, you sign up to those and you ratify them, then you need to make sure that your own domestic laws don't contravene them. So they basically say that everybody has the right to have a life free of oppression and um, has the right to a decent treatment by the government and the right to work uh, under certain conditions and all that. So um, soon after Ma took office in 2009, he decided to adopt these conventions, even though, of course, Taiwan is not a UN uh, member country and nobody right. would care if they signed them or not. But he said, 
we are going to do this anyway, just to show to the world that we respect human rights just as any other country out there, which was a pretty laudable step, actually. And their signing was actually, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I quite have this right, but I think it was rejected by the UN. Like, it's not formally accepted that Taiwan well, I, I ratified think, it. Yeah, I think the UN said basically, we don't care what happened there and it's not our business. But mm -hmm. still, um, Ma said, okay, we are going to pull through with this. Just um, take it seriously, really ratify it, really make it part of domestic law. With the result that these um, covenants now um, having been adopted by Taiwan, they have become part of the law of the land here. Mm -hmm. And they actually supersede domestic law except for the constitution. Mm. Yeah, so some of these uh, human rights uh, covenants, they should be the law of the land. Uh, but these groups, you know, they're saying that that's not quite the case. Uh, now, you've actually uh, interviewed President Ma about this. You've kind of followed these issues. So what are the areas uh, that they're drawing attention to? Now, the thing is, after, after ratifying these in 2013, the Ma government specifically invited a group of international human rights scholars to come to Taiwan and ask them, please give us a decent audit, check our laws here and give us like a human rights report, you know, what's usually done in the United Nations uh, Human Rights Council in Geneva, mm. um, we will just outsource it. So, so come here and just pretend you are doing an actual United Nations human rights report here. Mm -hmm. And they did that. They spent, um, they spent a week here and they talked to government officials and to a lot of NGOs and they really, thacked, uh, they really checked the Taiwanese laws thoroughly to see if the... Um, conventions have been implemented, or if there's anything contravening them, and then they came up with a long list where they said, okay, we really respect what Taiwan has been doing here, it's very encouraging, a lot of things have happened, but still, here's a list of a few dozen points where we still mm. think that the Taiwanese laws should need to be reformed in order to really adhere to the spirit of the UN covenants. Right. So, for example, um, just... Um, to pick out some, they said um, transitional justice. There's still some way to go. You would need to open up the archives, the national archives, right. to the victims. Right, and that would be hangover from the martial law period. Uh, yeah, right, for example. Or they say the, the rights of immigrants, the rights of migrant workers here. Migrant workers do not, um, are not covered by the Labor Standards Act in Taiwan. They don't earn the minimum wage. That is contravening the spirit of the agreements that you signed up on. Mm. Uh, or I'm um, talking about the death penalty. Well, they stopped short of saying um, you should get rid of the death penalty, but they said if you have the death penalty, then you need to have a system in place if the prisoners are seeking a pardon. Mm -hmm. And as long as you did not decide on their case, they should not be executed. Apparently, Taiwan did not introduce some kind of proper procedure for cases like this. Mm. And all the executions of the last few years um, took place despite the prisoners um, having raised a, a case for appeal. Right. So, so it's just a long list where they say, okay, look, in order to um, make the situation even better, this is what you should do. And then um, in 2013, I asked them, okay, at a press conference, so specifically, which of these will you tackle next? And then he just went into a very lengthy, generalized answer. He said, um, human rights are important. We want to... Uh, we want to improve the situation, but he really did not get into any specifics. And as I see the situation, a lot of these points, um, nothing has happened so far. Mm. So in the, in the years since then, um, those laws have not been reformed. Another example would be adultery. Adultery mm. is a criminal offense in Taiwan. Right. And these human rights experts said, no, that's also something that's 
this is also something that is against the spirit of those conventions that you signed. But that's also some reform that government doesn't really want to touch here. So there would be a lot to do. But um, the impression that some people get is that, okay, they signed up to this, they paid some lip service, but then they stopped short of really pulling through with it. Right. So that's at least uh, where things stand currently. What's quite interesting, actually, Keith, sorry, well, they've actually... They've actually executed 33 people in Taiwan over the last five years, which is more than Singapore and various other countries where they have capital punishment. Right. There was a moratorium put on it for a number of years, and uh, since that moratorium has uh, been taken off, yeah, there has been a lot of executions that have uh, actually been followed through with. Uh, Now, uh, a lot of these issues that uh, you're talking about here, Klaus... There are specific domestic reasons why it would be difficult for a government to implement this. You know, you talk about the uh, labor rights for uh, foreign domestic caretakers, uh, you know, uh, Taiwanese families, uh, that cuts at their bottom line if they need to pay these workers more. You know, this is a big part of their income. Or if we talk about uh, capital punishment, uh, capital punishment is something that is supported by uh, a wide majority of Taiwanese. And whenever it's brought up of getting rid of capital punishment, I mean, the uh, people are very strident uh, and very angry about uh, that issue. Uh, they, a lot of people really, really think that uh, capital punishment should be continued in Taiwan. Uh, so now, you know, we've. I, I, I think that's enough of looking back on uh, Ma's tenure, but. Looking forward to tying when, I mean, does she really have the latitude to uh, change the trajectory that you're talking about there? So in this long list of suggestions that I mentioned, well, first of all, it's not about nobody wants to force Taiwan to do anything. It's just about you signed up to this. Now you have to face the consequences. If you don't really pull through with it, then you have opened yourself up to criticism here. Mm-hmm. It's not like um, there's not like the international... Uh, experts being parachuted in and trying to force Taiwan to do anything. Right. So if you look at those suggestions that they made, okay, some of them are, um, would be pretty difficult for a Thai government to pull through, like the death penalty. But there's others that are much more in line with what um, we can expect from the new government. For example, it's about the indigenous people's basic law and mm-hmm. the fact that that's not being enforced effectively. So you mm-hmm. have this basic law, but uh, in reality, it doesn't have a meaning right now. It doesn't have teeth. So that's something that um, the Thai government would probably move on anyway. Or um, They also mentioned the cases of forced evictions, people being forced off their land for some development projects and there not being laws in place to uh, protect them or to have some proper procedure in cases like this. I think that that could be changed pretty easily. So it's it's like a checklist, and I think the new government could really go through this and say, okay, these and these and these are some points that we can tackle right now, and the other ones, the more controversial ones, um, well, maybe don't touch them right now, but uh, see how things are developing there. And last question I kind of want to put before we move on from this section. I mean, uh, so, of course, the uh, international criticism is real uh, on these human rights points, and then we heard from this uh, one forum... So that's a little bit of domestic criticism on these points as well. Uh, but are international covenants, you know, Taiwan signing up to international covenants and stuff like that, is that really going to be a motivating, organizing force of Taiwan politics? I mean, is this something that 
we really expect Taiwan voters to get energized about is, oh, we signed up to these international covenants. I mean, will, will human rights be an organizing force of uh, Taiwan politics, or, or is it really just going to be more about, oh, here's the domestic issues that we care about, oh, and they happen to align with this set of covenants. I mean, what, what, what do we expect? This could be to anybody, but what, what do we expect in the next couple of years? I think with the political atmosphere being um, as it is now, I think with human rights subjects, you um, really can appeal to a part of the electorate. It, it plays an important role in the mind of many people. Um, of course, if you say, oh, we signed up to this covenant, and then you have to add, but the international community is ignoring us, um, <laughs> that's not really a feel-good uh, yeah. thing to, to tell your voters. But... Um, it is a chance to make some positive headlines internationally as well. If um, international media are reporting that uh, Taiwan signed up to human rights covenants, Taiwan wants to adhere to these international standards or those, even though it doesn't have to, it makes people aware what is happening here and what kind of standards uh, this country is aiming for. Mm. All right. So uh, perhaps something that we will hear more about uh, in the next upcoming administration. But uh, once again, we've put a moratorium on prognostication. Uh, I guess I haven't been very strict on that, but we're going to adhere to it now and uh, stop making guesses. So that means that that is the end of our last broadcast story. And we're going to move now to our bonus story for the podcast listeners. Uh, in this case, we've kind of given up on uh, making this exclusively silly news. We were calling this our silly news portion there for a bit. Uh, but turns out that uh, there's just not quite enough silly news here in Taiwan. So we're going to keep the bonus story, but it's going to be a little bit more on the light side. And uh, today, Madonna's in town. So who better to tell us about it than well-known diehard Madonna fan Gavin Phipps? I'd like to correct you on that, Keith. There is a lot of funny stories, but we were offending people because we were thinking they were funny and certain other people weren't thinking they were funny. So Funny to us. Funny to us, of course, means slightly perverse and wonked, probably, basically. So I guess I guess the real headline here is we didn't want to uh, cop to our perverse sense of humour. So that's no, the real I, thing. I woke up on the wrong side and realised I didn't want to offend anybody. I had a bad day that day. Anyway, yes, Madonna is in town this week, isn't she? She flew in on Monday on a private jet. I also want to point out that you did not correct me when I said you were a diehard Madonna fan, so I guess we're just going to let the record hold hey, on that one. I'm more One Direction. Okay, fair enough. There you go, but don't tell anybody. That's a secret. All right. Yeah, Madonna, she jetted into Taiwan on Monday of this week in a private jet. What was quite ironic about that was she was whisked through immigration and then she was whisked to her hotel, which organisers of this week's concert said, we cannot divulge because we've signed an agreement. And then lo and behold, four hours later, it was announced that she was staying at the Mandarin Oriental. Hmm. So, so much for that agreement, eh? Anyway, she took to the stage of the Taipei Arena last night, that being Thursday night. She will take to the stage of the same venue this Saturday. She caused a bit of a stink, though, apparently, last night, because she didn't take to the stage until 10.20 or 10.15pm, which is quite late for a concert here at that venue, because that venue, they usually start about 7 and everyone goes home at 10 to get the last train home. Well, it's kind of in a residential district. Well, technically it is, technically it isn't. That, that <laughs> Dunhua Nanjing's debatable whether it's residential or not. There's always been a sports stadium there. Mm. So, you know. Anyway, she took to the stage, like I said. Apparently she sang a lot of her tunes, which we're all, we're all very excited about, especially when she sang Like a Virgin and Material Girl, two of my f***ing personal... Two of my personal favourites. Take that out. <laughs> Two of my personal favourites. Then, of course, she wrapped herself or draped herself in an ROC national flag. 
mm. which is quite, quite quite interesting because, of course, a certain 16-year-old from Taiwan recently went on Korean television holding an ROC flag and offended people. Yeah, this w- is Madonna. I wonder what China's going to say about Madonna. We'll have to wait and see, although I will point out that she has ended every single concert on this tour holding up the flag of the country that she's in. So it's not really a political statement here. Oh, well, I didn't think it was, but of course that doesn't have well, to be the point, does since it? Since it's a sports stadium, there would have been a Chinese Taipei Olympic flag lying around somewhere. That's true. She could have chosen true. that she one, you're chosen right. could have chosen that one, but she didn't. She chose the nice red, white and blue one, of course. <laughs> so uh, I want to know, what is someone like Madonna doing in, in Taipei? I mean, is she staying in the Mandarin Oriental all the time, locked up in her suite? Or did, does she does she go to a shilling night market? Or where do people take her? Apparently how how her, does it work? Apparently her dancers visited some night markets. So I read. So they, they, they took back some chodofu for her? What? I presume they didn't. I don't know what they took back for her, but apparently they went to rent some night markets and went, woo, night markets, woo, 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 type of thing, as you do. That's when the you official story. Yeah. Maybe, maybe she was in the entourage. Maybe she went in disguise. Maybe she went into dis- in disguise, yeah. You see, that could happen. She could have dressed up and like Lady or Gaga. And dressed out, down, really. And no one would have thought Lady Gaga would be in town because Madonna's exactly. here. So you mean like Kerwinger takes the MRT and he is sitting next to you all of a sudden. You could be waiting in line at night market next to Madonna. You could be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which would you be more excited about, Madonna or Kerwinger? I think Kerwinger. Kerwinger, okay. Got a Kerwinger fan here. Uh, all right, well, uh, that might just be enough of four men talking about a Madonna concert. Uh, well, I mean, Klaus, is, is, is Madonna big in Germany? Was that a, a part of your life growing up? Be careful how you answer that. Cut, you're that gonna... cut that out. You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's kind of what I thought. Uh, Donovan, can you save us here? Do we have any uh, love for Madonna down in Taichung? <laughs> well, I, I'm just going to thank my lucky star she didn't come down here. All right. So, as I said, that's enough of us gabbing on about Madonna. Not exactly the right source. So, we are going to close things out for today. Please do join us again next time. Taiwan This Week broadcasts every Friday evening at 8.30 p.m. right here on ICRT FM 100. You can also find an extended version of the show online at the ICRT website, on iTunes, and I've just started posting to SoundCloud. So if you search Keith ICRT, you can find it there as well. If you are listening through iTunes, please take a second to rate and review the show. Let's us know what you're thinking and helps other people discover the program. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I am Keith McConey, joined by Gavin Phipps. Thanks, Gavin. Hey, good night. Donovan Smith, thank you as well. Yeah, thank you. And Klaus Bardenhagen, thank you. Thank you. Great being here. And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.